ever will ever be. Let's see, go live. This is my first time doing this, by the way. Oh, we're live. Awesome. Welcome, Ooh. everybody. So this welcome to our first podcast live stream. We've got the the wonderful Uber Boyo. And hello. this time, hello, it's, how, how are you anyway? What's going on over in Ireland? I'm not much. I'm just, I popped onto, I popped onto YouTube and I see live now. I'm like, yeah, here we go. Here we go. There's not much, uh, not much going on at the moment. It's, um, you know, the, the flickers of sunlight that, that happens every couple of, every couple of months uh, during the summer. So all is well, but uh, I hope you are well as well, sir. Yes. Yes. Upside well, down world. Yeah. Well, I was just talking to you before that we just entered our second lockdown. Well, actually, I think it's like a seventh or eighth, lo seventh lockdown, I think in Melbourne. So yeah i not don't want to really get into that i want to go into a more depressing topic nihilism <laughs> <laughs> and talk about dirty nietzsche and basically nice. what he was about what nihilism is and ultimately i guess how to get people out of it i'm assuming that most people do i'm sure some people want to stay in their their nihilistic worldview but i think it'd be interesting to kind of break down the history of nihilism what is the core principles of this philosophy mm -hmm. and yeah maybe mm -hmm. go into a bit in Nietzsche uh before we continue can I because uh, I wrote this note down because I was reading this book Nihilism by Father Seraphim Rose beautifully really got some interesting insights and I wanted to kind of start off with nihilism in a nutshell kind of what I wrote down see what you you think of it maybe you can start beautiful beautiful yeah yeah 100%. Uh, so nihilism in a nutshell is a rebellion against God authority and truth and pure nihilists want to annihilate authority, especially corruption within religious institutes. Nihilism's highest value is losing value and meaning. There is no ultimate goal, and there is no ultimate answer to why. Okay. Um, so I think the discussion of nihilism can be quite difficult because it's very abstract and philosophical, um, but it is actually extremely... The world we live in now has the symptoms of this nihilism thing everywhere so if you want to think about it this way nihilism is almost like a, an abstract disease that the body gets like you know you have a heart problem or something like that but it's very very hard to see the actual problem you know it's an organ or something like that inside of you and um, but you get many of the symptoms you know maybe your fingers go a little bit blue or you, you lose your breath an awful lot more and all these type of things and so when you look at modern people's lives they live lives where they're isolated all the time. They live lives where they can't really get motivated about taking part in the world. They live lives where they're very easily addicted to hedonic substances and they can't really you know, focus on long-term discipline because there's no point in focusing on long-term discipline because there's no point in focusing on the future. You see an awful lot of people talking about, for example, I don't want kids because the planet is evil and stuff like this or life is evil. And um, you just generally see these these things that are actually a little bit unusual when you think about them. And um, considering that we're all life, you'd imagine that life would be, you know, very uh, enthusiastic about the fact that it's not dead and it wants to, you know, run around the world, be very enthralled with what's happening, produce lots of babies and create lots of stuff. But instead, you see in modern people a um, litany of different symptoms or, or behaviors that are very just strange, very, you could even say anti-life if you want to think about it this way. So I think that that is one of the most um, important things to root it down to is that you see in modern humans problems and you have to ask yourself, what is the cause of them, the root cause? And just because you have symptoms doesn't necessarily mean they are the cause. This is a very common thing in medicine. Don't treat the symptoms, treat the cause. For example, uh, you might have spots in your skin or acne and you'll get this cream to put on to fix your acne. 
but that's just you treating the symptoms and it's not ne- like putting a chemical on your face is not necessarily going to fix your acne whereas for example maybe changing your diet where you clean up the stuff that goes into your body will actually change what's happening and it's the stomach is where you solve your acne and that's this is often something that people talk about it's the same sort of principle here so the question is and you know we're sort of have, as astral doctors if you want to think about it this way me and you were sitting down and we're seeing all these strange symptoms people without purpose now whatever the fuck that means people um, alienated whatever the fuck that means mental health crises and um, people running around a religiously screaming god is dead and then talking that there's no future or purpose for mankind and you know the mass um belief that we should stop having children the lowering birth weight birth rates and all these type of things we have to ask ourselves like what's driving that and, and if uh, some a doctor like nietzsche is uh, suggesting oh it's nihilism what, what the hell does he mean by that and where does this nihilism thing happen what's the big question so that's the way i always like to kind of frame this conversation because uh, we don't want it to become too abstract um, and ultimately, when um, I think it's Seferin Rose, Father Seferin Rose says that it's a lack of meaning. He's like on the money. But it's just about us asking ourselves, like, OK, what exactly does that mean and whatnot? If something I did want to ask you is um, how like in your life, have you experienced something that you would call nihilism? And, and what have you what, what, what how would you frame that? Like, what has your experience with that been? And if not, like if it's if it feels too abstract, have you had anything that would look like it's related to meaninglessness did you have like a period of your life where or even attitudes where you're younger that you picked up an awful lot of negative habits because you're like there's no fucking point you know it's like oh sh- why should i get in shape or or, or mm. eat clean or try to build stuff there's no fucking point like it's it, the, the, we're all gonna die anyway and stuff like this or have you ever taken maybe negative attitudes towards society and the world and other people for these reasons so i, I don't know if you you want to go into that but if you wanted to maybe that could be an also an interesting way to explore this yeah, I can cover it in a nutshell. Uh, growing up in my teenage years, I was definitely had this nihilistic attitude, anti-authority, anti-religion. I was a, a Christian hater growing up Catholic and uh, eventually got into alcohol and all this kind of stuff. But at that stage, I wasn't exactly philosophically trained or educated. So this was kind of like a surface level, juvenile level of nihilism. And... But when I did go much deeper into nihilism, and I'm talking about like going to that existential abyss of complete meaninglessness and going face first with the, I guess, the sinister nature of reality and this matrix and evil and just being hyper aware of all this kind of stuff was during my existential crisis after a very heavy psychedelic experience. And this, yeah, this kind of led me, because there is, the extreme form of nihilism and in this book it does go into the four dialectic stages of nihilism and what we're talking i think a lot of what people talk about nihilism is like that extreme final stage of you just want to destroy everything so kind of like an anarchy uh, anarchy kind of stage but i definitely did go into that realm it was absolutely harrowing i lost all meaning of life i, I lost my base my ground i didn't know what to grab onto and i didn't know what truth was and i guess at this stage, I just believed that reality was inherently evil insofar that no matter how much good there is in life, at the end of the day, it's all going to be taken away from you. Everything dies. Everything's transient. And when you look at the bigger picture of things and all the humans that are suffering on this world, and then when you see that you're connected as an individual to the rest of the human organism, when you see like these horrific places that people go to that happens all throughout history and even today and will go to in the future it's like it's harrowing it's horrible it's like man how can this how can this be good ultimately 
just for mm. the fact that there's this level of suffering and evil and you know what i mean like people falling into their carnal desires and you know power and greed taking over like all that kind of stuff i i, I basically got hyper slapped with this reality and i had to chew on that for many many months until i, I did go throughout the other side and of course i don't feel like this anymore but it was very real at the time so yes to answer your question i did go into no, that, that's brilliant that's something i definitely want to dive into more specifically on the idea of taking something like psychedelics that they just blow your mind open and that leads mm -hmm. to a sort of you, a, a nihilistic hangover if you want to think about it this way now um i want to get to that in a moment but when you said you were younger and for example you're sort of in a sort of anarchist rebellious stage because that's interesting like why would you say that's nihilism and i'm not trying to like critique or anything like here i'm just sort of asking and um, what was the thought patterns what was going on inside of you that made you think it was nihilistic like were you just uh, aimlessly rebelling or would you um was it anti-authority or was it just uh I, I like you were just literally like there is no point to anything i just want to hate anything that gets in gets in the way or thinks that it, it's 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 presumptuous enough to say that it knows how the world works or something like that like what was going on there mm. well i would say that it's a little bit of all of that but when i in hindsight looking back i would say it was a form of nihilism because ultimately i didn't believe in ultimate truth that basically everything was relative anyway and how can you possibly know what truth with a capital t is and i feel like nihilism on all stages is at the end of the day it is the abandonment of absolute truth it's very interesting so 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 when you were younger like and I'm, I'm not sure if i'm getting this relationship right don't let me project my assumptions on this but <laughs> were you younger and you would sort of say like yeah there is no absolute truth i don't give a shit about um i i don't believe anybody who says there is and would you look at like i don't know this the state society the church people around you and anybody asserting that there's a way you should live your life as like arrogant fucks who think they know what the truth is and you you wanted to just expose them and humiliate them and be like look you're you don't know what you're talking about at all was it sort of going like that and i correct me yeah if I'm yeah it, i did i definitely did have a lot of anti-authority mindset uh you know i was like breaking into buildings graphing uh just being a just being a naughty boy <laughs> a naughty boyer and yeah man i guess it's hard because again when i was in that stage it wasn't like this deep philosophical nietzsche level philosophy where i was like oh you know what and i could break down exactly what nihilism <laughs> is and the state of the world it was just again it was a more juvenile reactionary kind of stage and i was just angry kid i was I just hated authority, religion, anyone that claimed, like you said, who claimed to know the truth. And at the end of the day, it's like, no one knows. Like even, I even got past the stage where I thought that even atheism was dumb. I mean, the assertive atheists who say like, there is no such thing as God. And even at that stage, I'm like, how do you know that? How do you know that there is a God? And how do you know that there is no God? So I was kind of pointing the finger at both the religious nut and even the hardcore atheist, because at the end of the day, how can you know? How can you make an absolute truth claim like that? So I was kind of under the, under the assumption that you couldn't know truth, especially from reading a book. Yeah. And so like your parts, you just wanted to expose anybody who's so presumptuous. And so like you would see them as full of shit to suggest these things. Like, that's yeah, quite yeah. interesting. Um, I did. I just lost Sorry, you for a second. You just, yeah, I lost you too. Okay, right. cool. Oh, no, back. that's good. That's good. Um, so, right, I wanted to check that out for a second, because um, obviously nihilism is 
the absence of meaning, the death of meaning, the dearth of um, looking at the world and seeing nothing. Now, Nietzsche would suggest that nihilism is like there's many healthy things that can come out of it. For example, Nietzsche would say the divinest souls are skeptics. And what you're describing there is actually like a, a position, like a, a way that you orientate yourself where you suddenly stop taking anybody's assumptions seriously because you know how complex and profound the world is you start saying mm -hmm. to people you know i'm not just going to believe you because you tell me you know you, you might become rebellious towards authority or something like that and it's very like nietzsche is very much like that himself like he in some sense was someone who digested nihilism to a very serious degree um, and i'm going to get into that i'm going to get into nietzsche more comprehensively now in a second and so the second more existential style that that was working and do you remember much about the sort of experience you were going through you're taking a load of psychedelics and or you took a large dose of psychedelics and in in what way did it annihilate the the perspective that you had like what was it um like what did you sort of believe before that that the world was a uh a, a, like how, how did you, was it a belief system deconstruction was it um like how did that happen you know like what what was going on uh yeah so it was a complete shift in perception because i've talked about this before but i've had like horrific horrific trips where in the moment of it, it was a complete nightmare i wanted to stop but then as soon as you come back to earth you're like oh whew, i'm so glad that's over but with this one it stayed with me it was a perspective shift and i couldn't unsee what i saw the unveil was removed and leading up to that stage i was basically a, a new ager really I, I was kind of in even in uh father Sarah from rose he talks about that there is a stage of nihilism where you basically go from the materialist view to the pure spiritual view so i was denying physical matter and i, I believe that all truth was relative and that i was basically just chasing direct experiences and non-duality i'm god and all the all the you know the stereotypical new age philosophies and so I, I was going that way and of course looking on hindsight it's like yeah of course i ended up having that experience because i was already kind of removing the base and the ground i didn't have anything to kind of attach to so that was a kind of a a reality check and a slap to the face and really made me realize that well first it was like humbling experience in so far that the trip was like dude you ain't shit and if you think that this is a, a an illusion all right boom i'm gonna just show you all the horrible suffering of reality and it felt so real that it was like i couldn't ignore it anymore and like there's a lot to get into because like my brains are kind of i don't know where to start with this but it was a shift in perception i was going down this kind of nihilistic but spiritual nihilistic route and this basically reminded me that yeah there, there is suffering physical matter is not an illusion and there is yes. truth i just didn't know it so i at that stage i kind of went through a shift of oh no there is an objective reality but I still don't know if humans can access it yet. But there has to be some sort of a grounding, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So I think there's something that we can start to dive into Nietzsche with because you're, you're describing constantly a perspective shift. And me and you spoke before about, um, for example, a way that you could look at history that is quite radical, where you could see um, each society constructs an ego, which you could call a worldview, all right? We do this personally for ourselves. We construct mm -hmm. a way of orientating ourselves. And I even associated this with the left hemisphere's consolidation of a frame on reality. Um, now, the problem is, is that if you're going to create a frame, just like when you look at a, a scene and you, you, you create a 
picture frame, what you're going to do is you're going to block out everything else in order to grab the picture. So in order for you to have a picture of what's going on, you have to necessarily delete everything else. Um, and you could actually uh, like get rid of that picture frame and take another angle or something like that and get a different frame. And you'd be looking at the same reality, but you're putting a different frame on it. So hopefully that metaphor is landing. Um, and this is the yeah. sort of same thing that happens with uh, the mind, if you will. Like there's, there is actually a world out there, you know, if you want to get into the quantum physics, you know, it's a, it's a fizzing, sizzling um, mushmash of all these uh, undefined um, particles and all this type of stuff that the second you look at them, they all consolidate into shapes and whatnot. So there is a world out there that is quite um, messy. And some people would even push it as far as to say nearly completely undefined and, and quite chaotic, if you will. Mm. And um, it's true the, 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 the way we look at the world that gives it a, a, a kind of context and perspective and angle, if you will. And um, what you notice when, with, with cultures is that the cultures, cultures will construct egos and realities and ways of looking at the world based on this. So for example, the ancient Romans will, will look at the world and they will see this chaos and this mess and they'll see, and it's like music, they'll see inside of it a set of principles, like how things should work, how hierarchy should be ordered, how you know certain archetypes should be put into place. And they'll construct a, 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 an ego for themselves. They'll construct a way of looking at the world that will create a, a worldview, a model. And this model, for example, for them was paganism. So they had Jupiter. Jupiter is like the archetype of the, the Christian God. You know, he's in that kind of slot as the authority. You have Mars, the warrior God. Maybe that's the sort of place that Christ was held. And then you have these other things. And then you have all these systems that kind of build out. And it's the way the Romans see the world. And and this is very successful. Like it can work perfectly fine because it's like um, it's like a genre or a style of music. You know, jazz music is a way of looking at music that allows it to be beautiful. But it's not the same as opera or it's not the same as classical music. They have different ways of looking at the same mm. phenomenon, which is music, uh, the same reality, which is music. They take the principles out and, and put their own frame on it, if they will. And. Yes. Um, now, the problem then with uh, this the, creating this ego, you know, you become a jazz musician or you're a Roman building a, a society is that you, you get, you know, you, you, you stick with your ego, you stick with your frame, you stick with your ways. And the problem is, is that ultimately that's not, quote unquote, true. It, it feels like absolute truth to you because it's the way you see the world, but it's not actually it's not actually true. It's it's um it's useful is the correct thing and it's necessary is the other correct thing but it's not true it's definitely not true it's just a way of interpreting what is true what is real these principles in the world and so what happens in Rome is Christianity comes in and this old worldview loses its footing and this new frame comes in and bullies that one out of the way and says no this is the correct way to see the world and the the old Roman worldview implodes and collapses and Christianity takes over and then that's a new ego. And then, of course, what sort of happened, as Jung would describe in the last 200 years, is that, and Nietzsche described as well, we had Christianity as the frame, the ego, the worldview for, for interpreting reality. And we'd see that there's a God at the essence of it who has these principles, and Christ is the tool that you can use to access this God, and the angels and the demons were these other forces inside of it. Um, and if you want to get in touch with this God, in, this, with, in touch with this reality, this is the way to do it. You have to go through this ego. And we would all assume that this ego is absolutely true. This is like Christian Christianity is the absolute true way to go there. But the problem is, is that there's other people in the world who, who, who use different egos to get there. The Muslims, they have a very interesting way of getting there. They get to God and they don't have Christianity and they build successful cultures all over the world. That's a pretty big challenge. The Asians, the Mesoamericans, like what's going on here? These people okay. figured it out in their own way. You know, maybe our way is better as the, the Western people might think, but they still figured it out. And it's actually quite a significant challenge. Because it's like, wait a second, if they manage to succeed mm. using a different ego, 
if they manage to win without that, then that's kind of a challenge. It's like if you're a musician, if you play jazz your whole life and you're like, jazz is the only way to make beautiful music. And then someone comes along and says, um, I've, I've made a lot of classical music with a whole different approach and, and it's nice. And you're like, oh, fuck, what's going on? And then you see a, a rapper or something like this. And so what you do is this, this shatters your ego. It makes you realize jazz is not all this and that. It's not the only way to do things. And so jazz can't be ultimately true. Jazz can't be the absolute way of seeing things. That your ego breaks down, your frame breaks down. And the same happened in the West. Christianity broke down. People couldn't take it as serious anymore. Science came in, which is like a whole new interpretation of the world. And they started to bully each other out, if you will. And they're, they're currently having a fight where you could say scientific materialism is, is somewhat winning, if you want. Um, so what, what this does is this pushes on us a very challenging question. So Not for long. <laughs> Christ, Christ will rise. It, it puts a very challenging question <laughs> upon upon our feet because um, we have to ask ourselves. All right, we have this this ego, this frame, and what, what's what's and if jazz is not real, and opera is not real, and hip hop's not real, and rock is not real, but rock is dead. Like if you've got these four different egos approaching the world, and none of them are true. So this is what Nietzsche noticed. You know that all of them are relative. This is what people would say. None of them are true. They all work, but they're not true. They're all just egos. They're all useful mm. ways of interpreting something. The question is, what what are they interpreting? And then that's when you notice that all four of them will point to a deeper reality, which is, as we understand in music, the the harmonic principles of music. You know, jazz finds harmony opera finds harmony, all these things, they look at this deeper reality, if you will. Um, and so yeah. in, in some sense, nihilism is, is uh, uh, almost like a stage and awareness that your way of constructing an ego is wrong. And it's very, very hard to, once you, once you realize that, you realize that there is opera, there is hip hop, there is rock and jazz breaks down is the way you do things just like christianity and then you have science and islam and and asian philosophy and all this type of stuff christianity breaks down as the way you take things seriously you're in a very serious problem because you can't then you can't take you can't create you can't create an ego you can't create a useful way of looking at the world that allows you to build things because you don't believe in egos you don't believe in 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 ways of doing things you don't believe that music can be done as jazz or as opera, you can't, you don't believe it can be done one way. Mm. And you start to have this very, very difficult problem because because you can't do that, you can't actually be functional in the world and do things properly. And that is sort of the, the situation we find ourselves in, that we like in the West, the, the ego broke down, the, 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 the authority of Christianity broke down. This is God is dead. And people stopped seeing the world as only being available through the eyes of Christianity. And what that meant is that we're going through a sort of discovery phrase. It's like we took a load of DMT and our ego blew open. And we're now kind of wandering through the world saying to ourselves, what's the correct way to construct reality? And what we're sort of trying to do is get back to the deeper principles of music that we can then build a style out of, you know, but that's really, really hard to do. It takes a lot of sort of exploration. Now, this is what's sort of happened in a big picture philosophical sense, but the way this, this same pattern shows up in our lives and even those big ideas affect us in our lives. So they show up with yourself, like, um, for example, not taking any authority seriously, because how can, uh, how can anybody propose an ego? That's, that's stupid. That's not possible. Or when you're older and then um, you're uh, have a, a, a new age worldview, which has a nice, pretty way of presenting the world. But then you take a load of uh, LSD or DMT and it shows you, you know, the butcherings of animals or the butcherings of fellow man or something like this. And suddenly that shiny, glistening ego is burst. The reality comes in and shows you what it is. And that, that ego just can't mm. stand anymore. It's not the correct way of interpreting the world. So on a psychological level, it's it's kind of a question of ego and frames versus the kind of chaotic 
true reality that is out there that's very, very difficult to pin down and impossible to ever fit into one worldview. And it, that puts us in a very serious position because how do we create a correct and true worldview if reality is too crazy and chaotic to fit into one worldview? And um, Do you follow? Yes. And I think when I, when I think about this stuff, because you're using music as an analogy, different genres, uh, but would you say that maybe religion or philosophy and trying to find the nature of reality is more akin to something like mathematics you know what i mean like you've got a formula that has a certain answer and then there are all these different types of people going no this is the formula no this is the formula one plus one equals two no one plus one equals three no one plus one equals four and there are some that are kind of closer to the absolute truth and some that are a bit further away that's that's certainly a, a very challenging argument that you could have like you could argue you know maybe um aztec um, yeah i'm not saying that one has the absolute truth i'm, I'm just saying that closer closer yeah absolutely well um because that's the kind of approach that we're taking yeah yeah like you you could argue that yeah that, that would be again like you know this is one of the things that's very heretical nowadays but it's actually a, a, a like a very in, like fair way to look at things like you could argue that the aztecs cutting out people's hearts on top of temples were maybe not as close to reality as <laughs> um as maybe western christianity was or, or islam yes. was you know or asian philosophy was maybe 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 they were closer and we just kind of went the wrong direction and over civilized that's that's also a possible argument as well but you know you can sit there and make value judgments you can say all right that's it's the same as if you listen to music and you might have some music that is um like opera is opera cl closer to the unification with the principles of reality than i don't know like uh, irish folk music or or blues or something like this like the the more trads like you know folk stuff like maybe that's not mm -hmm. as close M maybe it is Th these are conversations you can have mm -hmm. maybe blues and tra irish trad music is closer maybe um and they both certainly and this is where the relative mm -hmm. problem is you, they both certainly have their charm and they both certainly hit the proper notes and so it becomes a very big challenge to ask yourself mm. how do you how do you value judge and decide which is best and this is of course where nietzsche comes in this is what nietzsche would say is that yes. the problem with the nihilistic period is that you because everything is now on the table to be taken seriously it'll be very hard for us to <laughs> value judge stuff to decide what is the right way to do things and so what you're going to get is a period where people just won't be able to make any firm decisions and firm plans to actually execute upon the world and what does that do give us a direction give us a purpose mm. give us a way of sh shooting forward like you know when romans were, were were rising in their power they weren't they weren't worried about nihilism because they consolidated that what what is valuable is rome and themselves and success and mars and them conquering and um, the martial energy and they mm. didn't overthink that they just let the instinct carry them and they value judged everything around them and they judged it as either like has it been romanized therefore civilized therefore it's good or has it not been romanized therefore barbarian therefore we need to conquer it and that's just the way they orientated themselves it's very simple you know it's not you know the absolute truth rome was not the 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 the, the civilizing room there's many other things that happened in the world aside from rome but this is the way they co coordinated themselves and this is very very powerful and active and successful now our problem is that we we like how, how are we going to become active and successful when we don't have and um, we, we can't sit down and make very clear, firm value judgments because we don't know which of these egos, which of these perspectives is true. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think the way that I've approached this is seeing which philosophy is the most coherent. Is it consistent? And does it reflect on all scales of reality? Because 
I think for me, what's worked, I've gone, I've kind of gone through this process of elimination. And sometimes I'll take a philosophy, live it out and take it to its absolute logical conclusion. And if it falls apart completely, then that's when I kind of let it go and move on to the next thing. All right, let's test this out. And I'll just kind of explore every kind of room of that philosophy. Uh, I think that's even how the most potent form of logic works. It's like ad reductio. It's like the elimination of all possibilities until you kind of just narrow in, narrow in, narrow in. But then one piece of one fact can come in and throw a wrench in your whole thing. And it's like, ah, oh, shit, yeah. now nah, this doesn't hold up either, you know, and that can happen. Yeah, yeah. You have to be open for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge. And I guess um, to try bring it down a little bit, like how does this stuff affect us on the ground? Because this is sort of why I was asking you that personal stuff. Yes. Like, Yes, when this exactly. stuff happens, how does how does this affect us? And and of course, um, the trick to think about this is actually to think about the concept of motivation. It's a, it's an emotional thing, because even though this sounds very very abstract, like fucking egos and music and Romans, like it's like all right, Steph, what are you banging on about? But think about it in a in a in a grounded sense. As as I keep saying, you know, when the Romans had the firm ego, they they easily were motivated. They knew what they had to do. They instinctively were doing the right thing. They weren't sitting around thinking about philosophy. They were pushing themselves upon the world and succeeding and this is generally speaking a good place to be because you'll have a lot of momentum you won't spend time you'll be you'll be focused on action and reality and this is good like you want to be focused mm. on action and reality that's a good place to be now the problem with being in a state of nihilism is that you have no ego you have no way of asserting yourself upon the world and so you sort of don't take action you don't face reality and you're sort of stuck in a perpetual kind of like what is life what is going on and you actually freeze and you have a problem so when the west was christian as nietzsche noticed even though christianity might not be perfect some people might even argue it's not true and um, it doesn't really matter because when the west was christian they, they they had a vessel they had an ego they had a way of seeing the world that allowed them to express their their instincts or allowed them to express their creative instincts so all of europe was and formed and shaped by the great cathedrals and the beautiful ascending and um, palaces and the civilization that was born under it. And it was all, you know, to do in the glory of God and Christ. And they didn't overthink it too much. You know, they didn't do that until near the end. They just kind of went with what was happening and they, they, they built a beautiful civilization. And even if you look at their, their approach towards colonialism, like what were they doing there? Well, they had this very firm ego that Christianity, Christ was the true way of seeing the world. And the Europeans saw themselves as the the uh, crusaders of Christ, the, the 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 deliverers of Christ. They were Christ's vessel to spread themselves upon the world. And this is like, you know, Nietzsche would point this out. That this is an incredible hypocrisy. You know, that they would sit down and they would uh, choose Christ and say to themselves, you know what, Christ wants us to go and conquer the whole world. It's like, uh, bro, I'm, I'm not sure if that's necessarily what what he would be saying. But nonetheless, that's the way they <laughs> interpreted it because their instincts yeah. were strong. And their instincts were like the Roman instincts, you know, what we want to win. And so they went out and they sort of grabbed Christianity and bent it towards their, their instincts. And this allowed them to uh, coherently um, live a life that, that they didn't d doubt themselves that much. And then they went on, they just took over the whole world, literally took over the whole world. You know, they took over, uh, you know, the Americans, Mesoamericans, Africa, most of uh, the Southeast, Southeast uh, Asia and uh, the Australia, like they took over everything, everything that was all oh, yeah. conquered by the Europeans. And these people all would show up. They'd show up in um, 
the Aztecs, you know, and this sort of story is that they show up and they're like, we're here for Christianity and they butcher all the natives. It's like, you know, killing you for Jesus. And people nowadays read that and be like, bro, I don't know. I don't know. It's not very coherent. I don't know. It's not necessary. Yeah, I don't, I don't the, think the Jesus right would be cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is like, whoa, stop butchering those poor folks. But, but the reality is, is that that's not really what matters. The, the fact is that we have instincts towards, uh, you could say, will to power, you know, and they want us to spread our version of reality upon other people. That's actually what, like what Nietzsche would say is the essence of these instincts. It's very harsh thought, but it's what he would say is true. Mm. And um, these instincts need a sort of ego to allow them to express themselves like the Romans quite naturally had Mars and were able to express themselves without worrying too much about nihilism. And um, they could just push themselves upon mm. the world. The same was sort of happening with Europeans. They had this ego and it was maybe, maybe it wasn't really true. Maybe it was a little bit hypocritical, but they sort of were conquering for Christ. And this was their instincts releasing themselves through this. Now, what sort of happened then um, about, you know, 200 years ago is all these various forces uh, co coalesced together that um, begin to to shake and shatter that ego very seriously in a very strong way. First of all, science comes in and just blows the absolute living fuck out of the foundations of um, like, you know, the, the, the kind of materialistic perspective on the world. It's like there is no heaven. It's all just a relative um, set of stars hanging out in space. Yes. The, the, the way the world works has changed. There is no God. He's not up in the sky. We can't find him. There is no afterlife. There is no other world. All, yep, all yep. These, it's all, all just these, matter. It's all just matter. It's all just the the, the world around yeah. us. And um, these are very, very big challenges. And so, first of all, the worldview begins to crumble. Second of all, um, the Europeans are sort of tired. Like, you're just after conquering the whole world. Like, where, what are you going to conquer next? Mm. Like, where do you go next? The Europeans started to look towards space, but that didn't really kind of fill out. And so the energy was sort of getting a bit stale. And so not only was the worldview getting a bit bad, but also the instincts, the, the, the will to power that would drive them towards being hypocritical and taking over the world and saying they're doing it for Christ. Maybe they could take over the world and say they're doing it for, you know, you sort of see this a little bit. It's like the Americans taking over the world and I, I will save you by giving you democracy. And you're like, bro, like, you're bombing like a load of bombing like a load of people, brown people in their in their in their houses, like yeah, for democracy, you're like this yeah. type of stuff. And it's, it's the same sort of hypocrisy. Yeah. Like it's, it's, that's, that's a sort of botched together worldview because we can't do it for Christ anymore. So we have to come up with something that is nice enough to, to give us some type of coherency, which is like, all right, we'll do it for democracy at least, but that's not very, very strong. It's like a secular religion, if you will. Um, and ultimately that was the big problem is that uh, a lot, an awful lot of this stuff fell apart. And we had a very, very serious problem because Christianity couldn't be taken serious on a philosophical level. And, it and the, the instincts weren't strong enough to drive itself forward as well. And this puts us in this position of nihilism. Yes. And so what you experience as an individual is you wake up, me and you wake up, you know, 150 years after this. And there's, there's no, we, like, we're, we're never told that there's a correct way, a firm, correct way of seeing the world that allows us to believe in our instincts you know we're never told um, okay maybe i should try frame this slightly differently and um, that will to power that the romans had they would have had an ego that would flatter their will to power and ask it to come and play you know oh all of the world is barbarian and you mm. egotistical roman you are the civilizing glorious good guys that will fix the world and that energy inside of you mars that fire in your blood to go and conquer and defeat and commit conquest on people that's good mm. that's that's the right way to live and so they would have a very 
easy way of expressing their 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 will and then conquering the world and doing what the Romans did, you know. Um, and this is actually generally helpful. You could call this like creative. It's very, very creative. It's very easily creative. Create creativity is matched to conquest are like two very, very similar things. Now, Christianity did the same thing for Europeans. Oh, you, you are the chosen people who received Christ from God. Only you Europeans. And it's your job to release all that fire in your blood to go and take over the world, all that testosterone sizzling through your blood to go and take over the world and establish your reality and establish your forms and reshape the world in your image. And this is this is what God has given you. This is the righteous anger inside you that God put inside you. You have to go out there and conquer people for God. And so this releases all that energy and it, it healthily allows them to go be creative, go be uh, conquering, go be all these type of things. Now, the sort of problem nowadays is that if you look at a modern person, we don't like those instincts maybe that sizzling of testosterone the sizzling of to being the creative there's there's it's very very hard to find an ego that will like we we don't have one like you you're born in the modern world and you're not really told there's 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 nothing in place to serve that to speak to that to direct that you know so that testosterone burst mm. up and there's no firm ego that we philosophically trust that's really consolidated in place and so what happens is that testosterone is like you as a kid mm -hmm where you're like, all right, I'm going to rebel against the authorities that are here. I'm not going to create anything. I'm not going to buy into a way of seeing the world. I'm going to try to destroy because I don't trust any of this type of stuff. So it's almost like our instincts have gone from being, you could say, unified yeah. and creative to being destructive and, and rebellious and against all these type of things. Um, um, are you following me? I hope I'm making sense on that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like you talked about the kind of diso dissolution of, the Christian empire with materialism, nihilism and all this kind of stuff. But even within Christianity, I mean, you've got the, the schism between Roman Catholicism and Orthodoxy. And then in the 1600s, you got the Protestant Revolution, which was protesting against the Catholic Church. So even within Christianity, there's a lot of uh, disintegration. You know what I mean? hundred percent. I think Nietzsche the, the, just hit. I think Nietzsche just nailed the the, the nail in the coffin at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like it's it's very very for a while, interesting. For a while, <laughs> yeah. It's very it's very very interesting in that regard because like you look at the history of Christianity, it's the same thing. It's like you know at the start they had a very firm way of seeing the world that allowed them to you know mm -hmm. be uh, authentic moral Christians, and then the schism happens. And, and and what is happening there? Like it's a, it's a sort of fracturing of egos that creates two slightly different worldviews that are ultimately aligned, but it's like different in practice, you know. And then again, yes. uh, the schism part two happens with the Protestants, and there's very very similar thesis. It's a it's a it's a way of seeing the world that's very very like close, but it's slightly different. It's like genres of music, you know. It's like new metal and black metal versus they're all metal, and then metal is a part of rock. And then like these type of things, like it, it kind of goes up the hierarchy. And, and at the very, very yeah, top, yeah, yeah. they're like a unified way of using music towards their goals. But um, but but then the kind of big differences is our big questions. And it's um, and I guess the thing is, is that like the big idea about nihilism is the, the breakdown of of being able to trust any single one of those. Like it's hard for you to. This is the sort of our, our problem now is that yes, we can actually see all these. Like I could go be a Protestant tomorrow. I could be a Catholic tomorrow. I could be an Orthodox guy tomorrow. I could be a nihilist. Mark be a Nietzschean. I could be a Roman. I could literally wake up tomorrow and be like Tom. I'm now a Roman pagan. Call me Mars. And you're like Steph. Like 
Come on, bro. <laughs> Serious? I, mean, I was yeah. a pagan for a while, so I well, get it. <laughs> this is it. You, you actually yeah. have this opportunity now where you can try on all these different clothes. You can try on all these different things. And this, this you know, yeah, buffet, buffet of spiritual choice seems cool. It seems like that's the thing we need to do. But that's actually the ultimate symptom of mm-hmm. nihilism. Because the thing about these Christians is that they didn't have a fucking choice. Like you were born in Catholic Italy or Catholic Ireland. You couldn't just, you know, there was, there, was, there was no conception of like, oh, I'm going to go and be a Muslim or something like this. Or I'm going to go and be a pagan. Like that just didn't happen that way, you know? I'm a Satan, most... mommy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah mom, I'm, tr- I'm going to try out this, uh, this Satanism. Maybe like there would have been a couple of elite guys in latin who would have been studying like the renaissance the the ancient romans and stuff like this and they would have been trying out stuff like the occult but generally speaking the vast majority of people were locked into that ego and they wouldn't even question it you know like this is what nietzsche noticed that was so fascinating is that an awful lot of uh, these periods of uh, of european history when science was rising you know there was no questions about god like the whole idea of science was that we're all doing this to get to know god better that's the, like God is the truth and science is the pursuit of truth. And so we're trying to know God better through science. And then eventually what happens is the questions start to get more and more focused on what is God? And then in the, like, you know, eventually it kind of all breaks down. But for the vast majority of it, people were just sort of saying, all right, yeah, we're, we're, do, we're, we're going after it was a Christianity. You know, it was like stuck in that frame and a lot of like very few people would challenge Christ as well and stuff like this. So it was like the locked in way of seeing the world. But now we're in a way different position. This is the postmodern problem where we're in this position where there's we, we, yes. we don't see any of these as true. We see them all as possibilities. And our problem is which one do we choose? Which one do we choose? Because you can't be a Roman who creates and conquers the world unless you choose. You have to choose. You have to go for an ego and you have to buy into something. And that's fucking hard. That's hard because if you don't buy into something, mm-hmm. you, you won't be able to take action. This is the psychological principles. If you don't have an ego, you won't be able to take action. This is why you can't just take a load of psychedelics and DMT and destroy your ego and think that you've solved something. Like right hemisphere, left hemisphere. You know, the left hemisphere, imperfect, but it needs to be there to allow us to act in the world. Right hemisphere, awesome, but it's a little bit kind of like a, a hippie, this type of thing. And you need you need both of them working together. Yeah. And if you don't consolidate an ego, you can't take action. That's what nihilism is. You don't have an ego. That's essentially what nihilism is. It's the ultimate state of sort of not being put together. And um, it's a very, very difficult challenge right. because you can't des- decide which to invest in. Which ego do I go for? Um, because you don't know which one is true. And it's this like riddle that you're trapped in. And then this is where this is where the serious problem comes in. Um, mm. Someone will come along who will choose an ego, which is not exactly perfect, um, but they will just choose it and just double down on it. And they will conquer you. For example, in Russia, um, the Marxists, they come in and they say, you know, this ego that Marx made, this way of seeing the world that Marx made, it's called dialectical materialism. Fuck it, that works. That's good enough. It suits mm-hmm. me. It gives me a story. It gives me a sense of morality, gives me a project, gives me a vision of a good man and gives me a value system. Yeah, fuck it. I'll take this. And then Mm -hmm. they take over all of Russia. And then, of course, this ego is not exactly perfect. It's not exactly noble. It's it's got very a lot of downsides. And it's like, you know, it's like a bad genre of music and it's chaotic and they butcher the Russians and the Russians get destroyed. And it's horrible what they did to them. It's it's, Mm. it's cruel and brutal and ugly and terrible. And this is, you know, them playing out. What happens if we put on the Marxist ego? And then, boom, they go for that. And that's that's what happens. And, and this is the kind of question. And we're sort of running through these experiments now, you know? How about we put on the ego of, like, expert following science science cultists? Like, let's see what happens there. And and this is just a lot of people sitting, doubling down on that and saying, you know what? I, I don't even care if it's not true anymore. I'm going to go for it. 
I'm going to see what happens. And, and this is our challenge. Like, what do you buy into? What do you believe into? We Instead, we have a roster of identities and we don't know which to choose. So you can be anything, which means you can, you'll end up being nothing. And that's what nihilism is. It's possibility. It's chaos. You can do whatever you want and then you'd end up being nothing. Whereas the challenge is like, how do we consolidate? So I'm sort of repeating myself, but I think you see my yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of like the opposite of reconciliation and this false dialectic uh, no matter what stage of nihilism you're at, because you can be a materialist and you're only looking at matter. There is no spiritual reality. Again, dialectic, right? You're shutting off one part, like you're the right hemisphere, let's say. And then you've got like the kind of new age uh, absolutist who denies matter. It's not even real. It's an illusion. And they're only looking at their phenomenological experience of reality, right? They're only looking at the spiritual. And again, it's a false dialectic. So uh, I guess, how do we reconcile reality yeah why does it yeah. have to be this either or polarizing mentality that's been plaguing this society for a long time especially the postmodernist stage of society especially now you see it all the time like people are always polarized it's always like no it's this or it's that it's true or it's false it's one or it's zero and in certain cases sure things can be black or white like the color black or white it's only black <laughs> or white <laughs> but many things in life require nuance right it's not as simple as a one or a zero and yep it's it's more complicated than that and that's why this search is brutal and long and when you have a million different options to go down whew, it's exhausting man definitely yeah and this is this is a really serious challenge it's a very very serious challenge <clears throat> because um like we, we will all be stuck in a perpetual state of trying to find an ego. And what, what that will lead to is that like a lot of people are just going to buy into all sorts of crazy egos. And you see this all the time now. Like it's again, the identity thing. Like you see people like Jordan Peterson complain about identity politics. And, and that's mm. not really fair because the people buying into identity politics are, are they're living in a world of nihilism and they're trying to find purpose and meaning. And so they say one yes. of the forms of purpose is like, all right, I'm going to change my gender because that will give me a, uh, a purpose and like uh, maybe you'll ask how and maybe that's a good question like it's not exactly that sophisticated to change like rearrange your genitals is not necessarily solving the problem of nihilism but you can kind of compassionately understand this is why they're doing this they're a young kid they're like a teenager yeah. trying to figure out the, an identity and they choose something that's sort of trendy as we all did you know and and maybe it's more serious because yeah, they're going to yeah, do permanent sure. changes but nonetheless that's what they're doing they're buying into an ego or you become a Marxist when you're in college. It's the same question. Like you, you come across this ego and it gives you a story of the world. It says the world is orchestrated between classes struggling and these, you know, the classes are in competition and um, ultimately the, the solution to this problem, which is life, the, the social organization, which will lead to, you know, a happy life is, yeah, we just need to overthrow the rich, that type of thing. Um, and you see this picked up everywhere. Everybody mm. just picks up this roster of identities and we're trying to figure it out. And so egos are very easy to form. It's just that the question is, will we get an ego that's accurate enough, sophisticated enough and strong enough that it can actually get the, the vast majority of people to buy into it all at once so that we can be like the Romans or be like the Western Europeans where we have a direction and our instincts are congruent and it's not this constant flickering of like yes. a poorly put together ego that burns out and stuff like that. That's the big question. It's more about like, can we hit the money note as opposed to, because it's not that hard to figure out a way to live life during nihilism. It's just that these, these things don't, they don't end up stable long-term. Like plenty of people have lived perfectly fine lives as new agers and hippies and scientists and whatever, like, you know, people have done that. It's just that in the long, long term, like in 300, 500 years, 
if we keep on f- acting like flashes in the pan with all yes. these different possibilities won't we like what will what will come out on top in the end and it's probably not going to be one of these sort of niche postmodern identities because they're not they're not big enough they're not they're not they're not operating at the, the realm of the religious you know this is why christianity has a good chance of coming back because it's just so deep and big that it could uh it, it could simply just be more stable. Like this is exactly what happens in Russia is that uh, Marxism comes in and it's a flash in the pan ideology that butchers millions, but Christianity yeah. ends up rising ascendant in the end because after people go through that yeah. experiment, Orthodox Christianity too. After yeah. people go through that experiment, they sort of say, you know what? Christianity wasn't so bad after all. I think I'm going to stick with that. And um, it's a very, very interesting question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Nietzsche, Nietzsche, um, Nietzsche put, puts forward a, a very, And um, like, how, how does this stuff relate to maybe you could say, for example, that burst of nihilism you had after, uh, after your psychedelic trip? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you, you just cut out a little bit ah, before. Sorry. sorry. Um, so after talking, I just heard the question and not the context. <laughs> after ahead. talking about all this, like egos and, and, and reality and all these yeah. other things, how, how does some of this stuff relate to that psychedelic trip you're talking about? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of patterns that I recognize during this existential crisis. It was the dissolution of patterns of truth of everything that I ever knew about my identity, who I was as a person, the philosophies that I was clinging on to, but also peeking behind the curtain and seeing the rotten fruit that it was producing. So I kind of got like a a future insight. So in, in a sense, I'm actually very grateful that I had this experience because if I didn't, I would have continued going down that route and it would have led me there anyway, but in a much uh, further down the road, you know what I mean? And I don't know if you've ever gone hiking for three hours and then you realize it's the wrong path and you're like, shit, now I'm going to have to go all the way back, you know? Uh, That was sort of like my attitude, but also I was grateful that it happened early in life. But it was a lot of that, man. There's a lot of kind of i'm just gonna have to re like just have a blank canvas and rebuild watch truth and i seriously just started studying philosophy and logic like from the absolute basic form what is truth gone through all these different religions but also looking at the patterns as well not looking because before that i was kind of like an imperialist in that i would only like direct experience was my number one standard of truth measurement you know, if I can experience it, if it feels real, then that's what I'm going to go with. But then I realized that my human sensory organs and mental state can be very deceiving. So that's why you need to look at the objective patterns and try to, you know, zoom out. And yeah, man, it was, I guess I just had to go back to the drawing board and see and see what actually sticks. And I think this is when I first went into occultism hermeticism and that helped ground my reality a little bit but i I took it to its logical conclusion and it it, it hit a limit for me which i'm not going to get into now but it did hit a limit but it was very useful as a framework because this was the philosophy that taught me hang on a sec you're not god and this is why it actually showed like logical steps of this is why you cannot be god and then that kind of oh it was good to get have like a mathematical formula it wasn't a mathematical formula but just looking at the logic and the way that it explained it it was like a load off my mind intellectually because i'm very 
in my left brain. I need to know things. How does this work logically? And the way that I understood it, it was like, okay. So I got to let go of that idea. Because as well, even if you think about Nietzsche and him saying God is dead, that is equivalent to saying we're all gods. There's just yeah, different kinds of spectrums what he said. of it. There that's, you go. That's, ex that's exactly what he said. Like, yeah, if God is dead, we're going to have to stand up to the, the challenge and become gods, basically. And it's sort of like, woof. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a hefty <laughs> that's a hefty condemnation to put upon us. Um, but it's, it's see that's very very interesting. The void I has guess, to be like, filled. I break, mm. I break down the the kind of operation of this into stages. Um, you have at the very bottom stage that, that you could say you're born into this stage, where there is an ego. There's a consolidated way of seeing the world, usually given to you by your culture and your parents. And this is just how you see reality. This is your ego. You know, this is and this is the young's yes. collective consciousness placed upon the the young mind which consolidates a worldview, which then out of that creates an ego. Now, what usually happens for people, like this is the very famous thing from Terence McKenna, you know, you, you're, you grow up in a sort of highly Christian background, you discover psychedelics and you take psychedelics and what psychedelics do is they, they literally dissolve boundaries, which is the ego, they dissolve the ego. And this is generally yes. considered a, an ultimate good, but mm -hmm. that's an actually a mistake because even though you can dissolve your ego, doesn't necessarily mean that, that you, you should have it dissolved. You know, you dissolve your ego with, with psychedelics and this opens you up to the, the vision of reality that is chaotic. So, for example, exactly. again, the music metaphor, you're, you're looking and you, you play jazz and then someone gives you a lot of psychedelics and you suddenly see that there's other ways of making music like jazz. And you could make any type of music you wanted if you could just get grab the principles of music. Music is not defined by genres. You actually come into a bit of a problem because suddenly you're like you have to reinvent yeah. how music is done completely in your head. And that's maybe a bit too big for just an individual. That's a big challenge. So the second stage where you open up to possibility and chaos, which is highly creative, and this is what Nietzsche was saying, is the stage of nihilism. Like nihilism is a potential opportunity. It's actually a very healthy and normal stage. It's where your ego is mm. dissolving. You're looking at the world again. And you have a chance now where you could actually reconsolidate a new perspective that might be maybe better, maybe better, maybe not. You could get it wrong, but it could be better if you get it right. So the second stage is where everything is dissolved and you're seeing, you know, all the possibilities and all the chaos. And you're like, sort of like, this, this causes a lot of problems. Chaos causes anxiety. That's always the case. Chaos causes fear. And when you're in the state of chaos, you'll constantly try to grab for order, as Jordan Peterson would say. And what you do with what order is, is egos. So you'll grab for any identity yeah. at all. You'll go on an identity hunt and you'll be in this chaos and you'll be like, what the fuck am I? And you're like, oh, maybe I'll try Hermeticism. I'll try Marxism. I'll try Boyoism. Uh, what else? Great. And then you'll try all these different things and pop <laughs> around and yeah. see, all, see all the different egos and go down whatever path it is. Um, but eventually you're going to have to consolidate one. And maybe you'll consolidate the wrong one, but ultimately you'll have to choose one. And then when you choose this next one, hopefully it's the right one. It might not be, but hopefully it's the right one. So you are using logic to help you make that choice. And, um, and then that kind of takes you back to the, the, yeah. the root again, just maybe a level up. You're back in the ego situation and you're going to run this test for a while. And maybe you'll stick with it. Maybe you'll stick with it for 2000 years, yeah. or maybe you'll do it for a year and you realize, wait, I'm not a hermeticist. I'm not an occultist. I'm not Alistair Crowley's disciple. This, this is not working. So I'm going to actually blow <laughs> open the problem again yeah. and go into the fizz again of nihilism and not really knowing what's going on. And then you're kind of like anxious again, not sure, trying to figure out who you are in an identity crisis. 
and then maybe mm -hmm. consolidate again and each step hopefully you're getting closer and I, I find a lot of people who do this in a very serious way and end up going back to more stable perspectives like for example they uh, develop a like you're, you're going back to christianity for example and i see this quite a lot actually like uh, there's an, another guy called uh fractal universe big into terence mckenna do you remember him from back in the day I literally just interviewed him yesterday, actually. So there you go. Oh, br brilliant, brilliant. So Church he's, of the he's Eternal Logos, David Patrick Harry. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And he's going through the same process, you know? Like he was a guy big mm. into psychedelics, spent a lot of time dissolving the boundaries, dissolving the egos. And over after a while, like, you know, you kind of say to yourself, you know, I can't just keep dissolving my ego. At some point, I have to put together something. Like, and that's perfectly normal, healthy, and fine. In fact, in a psychology perspective, that is the signal of health, of having an ego, that you're somewhat aware that you could take apart, but you also are uh, humble enough to allow to be there. It's a very strange position to be in. And so he and you yourself are sort of saying to yourself, mm. you know what, I've kind of blasted, I've dissolved an awful lot of boundaries. Maybe I could kind of sit down and put a couple together to allow me to just live a life, to allow me to express myself because i don't want to live in a, a state of perpetual identity crisis like it's cool it's interesting but ultimately it's disempowering mm. it's 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 constantly being anxiety constantly questioning everything and, and and that's okay but it at some point that has to stop you can't do that forever at some point you have to say to yourself who am i going to be and how am i going to I, like how am i even going to participate in the game this is what i notice with a lot of people with this stuff is that they spend a lot of time in nihilism and aimlessness and what you'll notice about the nihilistic stage the dissolved ego exploring yourself stage finding yourself stage where you're traveling and exploring the world and all this type of stuff it's usually quite sterile in the measures of life you, you tend to not get maybe your business in order you tend to not mm. get a you know you don't have kids you don't you know settle down with a girl like these type of things don't happen because you're busy being a nihilist being kind of confused kind of finding yourself and all these type of things exploring and then um, and ultimately if you want to do the, the the work of life Jung's archetypal experiences such as the progress forward in life like you're going to have to settle for something this is why Jung's advice for this was <laughs> he said that most people in Europe should go to catholicism because it's just a very firm solid ego that's very ancient and has all wow. the bells and whistles Jung said that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he well he said specifically oh, that you, you should go towards you should go towards whatever your ancestral ego was and you should be very careful deviating from that and i, I kind of understand what he means like i'm a, I, this is kind of a, a difficult one because it's it's you have to understand it from the context of what i'm saying because Jung wasn't saying that necessarily catholicism is true but he was also smart enough not to dismiss it either because he was like yeah, you know yeah, yeah. maybe it's not the absolute way of seeing the world maybe it is but maybe it's not and um, but at the same time do you want to be mentally ill wandering around for 15 years of the peak times of your life not getting your stuff in order not putting your your, your life mm. in order not you know meeting a girl not setting up children not setting up a family not setting up uh finances not setting up all these type of things and even stuff like not being creative you know like being a nihilistic artist is usually means you're actually not a creative artist he young noticed this too he, he often mm. met like artists who were quote-unquote nihilists and all this and they weren't they weren't that good like they weren't they 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 pretended that they were you know the tragic and mentally struggling <laughs> artists with the demons but he he didn't he didn't believe that at all he was like no it's the best artists i've ever met the artists with the highest amount of skill are usually actually quite put together people that sit down and just focus on being creative they're, they're very focused on this they have a strong ego around art you know yeah it's, it's um it's it's really built around this and so it's it's a very big question it's a very serious question you have to ask yourself it's challenging because it's basically telling you to mature up and choose choose an imperfect way of living the world that's at least going to take you somewhere yeah. but that's really really what the story is
I'll also say as well to like, if you're going to choose something, commit to it, man. You know what I mean? Don't be, don't have this spiritual buffet sort of uh, new age mentality where I'm going to take this principle of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Satanism, a little bit of this. Like if you're going to choose something, there's a reason why a religion is a religion. It has like a hierarchy. It's a cohesive structure. So I would say that if you are going to be a Buddhist or a Taoist or a Hindu, do it but commit to it and take it take it as a whole don't just take what you personally agree with you know what i mean because then you can have like this kind of distorted worldview where you're taking a little bit of this with this when fundamentally they're not even reconcilable you know they're actually very contradictory so i would say like if you're gonna i, I think Taoism actually just to I, I do want to give a bit of light on Taoism. i think that has in terms of eastern philosophy i think that's hit the nail on the head the closest in my personal opinion nice nice i think it goes pretty it goes pretty deep uh i, I really i do enjoy that one there, but yeah there, like i said if you're going to do something commit to it that's all i'm saying because like some people want to be a buddhist but then they're tripping on psychedelics all the time where in the buddhist view all drugs are bad you're not supposed to do any of it you're supposed to be lucid you know what i mean yeah just like that's one yeah. little example of what i'm talking about how you want people want to have the cake and eat it too in, and they want to kind of create their own solipsistic worldview yep instead of actually just committing to one and um, like we are in like in in the personal stage where you have you're born with that ego and then it dissolves due to psychedelics and then you reconsolidate a new ego like civilizationally we're in the same mm -hmm. position so we had christianity and then it's it's now boundary dissolution dissolved and we're in that nihilistic fizz and um all of us are born into that and so mm -hmm. what we do is the identity questioning like you're describing and people try a, a buffet of different identities and all this stuff. And just the kind of question that you have to seriously put at people's feet. It's a hard question because it's not straightforward. It's, it's not, we don't know what to do about this, but ultimately, do you want to be an experiment? Do you want to be like, you know, nature's way of testing? Is this individual's way of seeing the world going to work? Is he going to be the new prophet? You know, and so you decide to become a satanic Buddhist psychedelic take. And it's like, you know, maybe that will work. Maybe that will be the next way forward. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. it won't, man. And like, what's the odds of it being the next way forward? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, it's monumental. You know, it's monumental. What's the odds of you being the next Muhammad? You know? Yeah. And, and, and this is like Alistair mm. Crowley. You know, Alistair Crowley probably felt himself as a character like this. Oh, I'll be the next prophet. And maybe, maybe he was. Maybe he's had influence in very important people. But ultimately speaking, it just doesn't seem like he put together something that's fertile. For everybody same like young the same you know like young had his take mm. and maybe it's cool and maybe it will consolidate into a religion but maybe it won't either like maybe it just won't work out same with nietzsche you know same sort of questions and mm. and this is where you start to look at people like nietzsche and young got to look at the guys. fruits long term yes 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 mm. and this is where you look at these and you start to see um uh, like very very interesting questions like uh you, you know, like, is, is Nietzsche's philosophy strong enough to build a, a worldview upon? Is Jung's philosophy strong enough to build a worldview upon? Is it better to default to Christianity and, like, push these things out of the way? Or does Christianity simply not have the foundations that can deal with the scientific question anymore? Um, does, is New Age atheism capable of giving us a model worldview? Is liberal secular democracy capable of giving us mm. this, a proper ego? And, and these are all very challenging questions. But and, that's why I would say just to throw it in there i would say go uh, that's why i've gone into orthodoxy because i feel like they fill in the gaps of what other versions of christianity hasn't quite hit you know what i mean so there's a lot of uh, what attracted me to orthodoxy was i guess everything that the new age offered 
all that mysticism, the Eastern spirituality, all the stuff that I was longing for that normal Christianity didn't really give me. Orthodoxy has that, but it has, but it reconciles it. It takes it a step beyond. So I just wanted to throw that in there. And I, I understand why people fall away from uh, like Christianity, Protestantism, Catholicism. It's because they're missing that mystical Eastern side of it. You know what I mean? And that's what we're longing for. We want that experience. But it also has yep. the theology and the philosophy. So there's that. So yep. yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there and and this is the thing is that um even like you know it's something like orthodox christianity to its credit because it's been through the marxist experience that probably hardened it that probably you know like mm. that's like a fighter who went in and lost a title fight and got like got his leg broken and his nose broken and all these terrible things happened to him and he picked himself up and he got serious and trained yeah. whereas over in the west maybe you had catholicism and um, was is, is almost like you know an old guy who has been successful and so what he's done now is he's taken a load of cocaine and hookers and yeah. he's spent all his title fight money. And now he's actually a bit stale. <laughs> and so if people are like, who am I going to buy into? They're kind yeah. of looking at Orthodox yeah. and be like, look, this guy's a bit more jaded. He's got a bit more of a chip in his shoulder and all this stuff. But that's not to say, though, that um, you, you can wipe the other ones off the table. And, it's not, and this is also the kind of challenge no. that Nietzsche would offer. It's not even to say that um, th there aren't other options. And this is, I guess this is where we could talk about Nietzsche's solution to this, because ultimately Nietzsche was not a nihilist. He was someone who studied the problem of, that I'm talking about here, the, the, the question of what the fuck do we choose as our ego? And he tried to come up with a solution because he saw this as the mm. significant problem of our era, of our ion, of our age. And his question, his solution was, all right, I don't think we can go back to Christianity. Now, it's a challenging statement in and of itself, but we'll just give Nietzsche his, 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 his word. Like, this is what he was trying to say. So he doesn't think we can go back to Christianity. His big question is the ego that we need to build has to understand why we have egos. It has to understand life and nature properly. And it kind of has to pull the, the, the dress up and reveal stuff that should not be revealed. And the big challenge here is that, as he said, what was common between the Romans and the Western Christians was not their religion, but they did incredible things despite the differences in their religion. For this reason, the religions are wrong. They're the wrong place to look. It's not about the ideology of being a Roman pagan. That's uh, it's running around identifying in the left hemisphere. I'm a Roman pagan. It's not going to work. Um, and he would then challenge and say the same thing about Christians identifying as a Christian and running around saying, I'm a Christian. That's not the, the functional part of it because there's plenty of Christians now who are, you could say decadence, de degenerating fake um, who identify. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. and he would even, even even say people would call it like fake, you know, but he would even say, it's not it's not really that they're fake it's that these people lack something underneath ideology you would call christianity and they lack something underneath ideology right so you can identify as a christian and you can be this you know a very healthy um old school christian that runs a family and has everything in order but you can also identify a christian and be someone who's actually like addicted to drugs nearly if you wanted to or or whatever you like want to want to say like living a, a decadent lifestyle that's that's anti like yeah, yeah. infertile and sterile or like there's old and, school irish Catholic people like gangs in New York, for example, and they're like, they're like praying to God and stuff, but then they're going into war and going, uh -huh. you know, yeah, getting yeah. into violence and gang wars and all this kind of stuff. But then they're like praying and, and to this, Jesus afterwards. I just find it's, it's funny. Not judging. I just find way, it interesting seeing that, that polarity. 
<laughs> I know, yeah, I know, yeah. It's the same with the Roman paganism. No, there probably were like some badass Roman pagans, and maybe maybe there are still now people walking around calling themselves pagan, and um, who are like you know in great shape, very fertile, healthy, strong people. But there's plenty of them there who aren't. Plenty of decadence. Yeah. Plenty of decadence to get into that stuff as well. The, the problem is that it's it's not the the, the mm -hmm. visions in the mind that are really driving this. The true source of this of what we're looking for and what we're looking for is the quote-unquote energy that provides us direction and gives us purpose and moves us towards the good what we're looking for is what he would say is instinctive it's inside of us as he called it the will to power which sort of means the will to create the will to make as it would be understood what we're looking for is to have a strong energy inside of us and that energy will take whatever ideology we have and reshape it and make it good um, it's a very challenging position, but he would sort of suggest, you know, the Romans had a strong energy. They they had pagan Roman paganism on top of that, and their energy grabbed Roman paganism, gave it a purpose and direction, and it, it allowed them to express themselves in a very strong way. And they did something good. And what was good is ultimately their ability to release that energy, because that energy is creative. That energy, the energy inside the Romans' chest is the energy that created the Colosseum, created the Roman sophisticated law, Roman civil law, Roman political forms, the Latin language, Roman art, Roman statues. All of that stuff came out of the energy inside the, the people. Rome was like this big ritual um, dance that all the Romans were doing, where they're going around acting um, like uh, pious and religious. They considered themselves very, very religious. This is where we get the word pious from, it's from the Romans. And they considered Rome was almost like a magic spell that was appearing out of the people because they followed the gods. They considered, you know, there's a link between these two things. And what the gods were is the expression of that energy. And that energy comes out and it's creative. It makes Rome. Rome is an amazing, profound thing. Very brutal, very violent, but very profound, very amazing. And, you know, you'd find it hard pressed to find people who would say, I wish Rome didn't happen, you know, like it happened. And it's hard to say that it was even bad. Mm. It, it is what it is. And the same sort of question, and like the next step, the, the progressive next step. It is step what is, it is. And it is what it is. Chris, Western Christianity was sort of similar. Like you have a people, the Germans, who had very, very strong energy inside of themselves, and they end up as the aristocracy of Europe. And this strong energy pushes on their ego, and their ego is Christianity. And Nietzsche would sort of argue that, like, you know, Christianity is a very strange religion for the Europeans to have, but nonetheless, they have it. And the energy is so vibrant and potent and living inside the Europeans that they express that energy and they grab Christianity and and and, and allow it to, to channel their energy through it. And so they create amazing things despite this. For example, in the Renaissance, um, there was this problem in the early church, which I think it was called idolatry or uh, iconoclasm. I think that's what it's called, where um, there was actually a serious okay. conversation and happening in Europe where they were saying they wanted to get rid of uh, images of, of Christ and images of statues because the sort of natural state of Abrahamic religions is to be anti, you can already say anti-art, like Islam, there's certain parts of Islam that just only have, you're only allowed to sing the words of the Quran, you know, and you're not allowed any images and hmm. stuff like that. So like the famously, you can't do images of Muhammad. And, and this is their way of keeping it sacred, which is absolutely fine. This is the way that they do stuff. But then mm -hmm. th that was happening in, in, in Europe. And that's the sort of instinct inside this th these religions, if you will. But by the time of the Renaissance, what you would have happened is like the complete antithesis because the energy inside the Europeans had grabbed Christianity and bent it and married with it and turned it into their own. And so by the time of the Renaissance, you have the Italians running around getting David and putting up this beautiful butt naked statue of him, you know, which is just like, I, that's just unimaginable <laughs> yeah. from the early biblical tradition. Yeah. Like that's just so shocking, you know, to the point Martin Luther showed up 
and he saw all this shit and he was like this is this is like literally satanism this is against how the bible should be understood and he he saw all that stuff and he's like this is decadent this is wrong and he goes and wow. creates his own religion but ultimately during the renaissance like th- these people their energy had grabbed Christianity and were using it to express their, their genius, their creative artistic genius. And then they had like naked uh, statues of David. They had the uh, de Pieta, they had Leonardo da Vinci. They had all these beautiful things that were ascendant Pisa and um, all the great buildings, all everything, Florence and um, uh, Venice. They had all that stuff was ascendant and, and incredible uh, periods of power. And this is good. Like it's, it's very hard to say that that wasn't good. And was that Christian is the question. Uh, Maybe it was, maybe it was Christian on the surface, but the thing that was driving it was not necessarily Christianity. According to Nietzsche, it was um, the will inside of him was strong and was healthy. And so his response his his deduction from this is that logically you can push the ideologies aside and see that if the health and the energy is strong inside the people, all the good things will come no matter what religion they have. If we become Islamic and we're able to tame it because we have strong enough energy, maybe Islam would be fine. Maybe we could even be atheist if we had strong enough energy. Maybe we could be liberal if we had strong enough energy. Maybe we could be Christian again if we if we had strong enough energy. But ultimately, the the, the axiomatic principle is the energy, and that's what we should focus on. And if we want to create an ego, we need to get in touch and discover how do we create that energy. How do we uh, feel and fester that energy so that when we connect with an ego and we can project our will into it it will produce what we're looking for which is healthy creative societies healthy strong creative societies and that's our big problem because you'll notice that despite yes. the kind of haze of nihilism the problem the, the the bigger problem that most people are lacking is that the vast majority of people nowadays are unhealthy they're they've got cowardly virtues they're afraid they're they fear for their safety over um, oh, yeah. assertiveness and bravery they um, are generally just in, in a state of horrible disrepair in terms of health they're not physically healthy they're overweight they're not um they're not eating clean the food is all poisonous these type of things and they're not in connection with nature anymore they're not they don't have a ways like the the modern society with all its uh you know uh Sino pages and accounts and documents and left brain stuff is is a sponge <laughs> soaking up our creative energy all the time. Bullshit jobs, as the yes. as the the book used to say. And ultimately speaking, there's 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 a there's a blockage. There's an in like we're not an energetic creative people anymore, and we're not in this state where we're producing high ascendant art like you know the the western europeans were or the romans were we're just not we're just not there and if we want to really solve this problem we need to start looking there first and we need to start looking there hard and very very serious because um it doesn't matter how long we spend in an identity crisis ultimately you need the energy to assert a will and assert an ego and be able to grab onto something and push forward with it regardless yeah that's what we're lacking like be hot or cold don't be lukewarm yeah you know, that's what jesus said like if, if you're lukewarm i'll spit you out with disgust just choose like even if you're wrong just be it you know what i mean commit yeah, yeah. to it don't just sit here on the sidelines like oh actually i don't know what I... and you're just like kind of floating in the wind but yeah no i agree man that whole creative force i love it uh that doesn't matter what you believe when when someone has that genuine creative energy it's like very inspiring and it it moves mountains you know it changes the world uh some someone and, that came into mind was J.R. tolkien you know who was a devout catholic yeah. and i love yep. how people love lord of the rings with all their heart to the point where it's basically a new religion but uh people don't know that it's actually very deeply rooted in catholic principles that's a catholic movie through and through i didn't know that until like you know recently and looking back i was like oh wow that's so amazing 
But I also love, you know, the anime, like Japanese and Buddhism, that this kind of energy sprouted up a lot of like amazing anime shows. And I think it's important to express yourself, but to commit, like you're saying, to have that fire, you know, actually do something with it. And yep. I, yeah, I, I guess to, to kind of put a cap on this, maybe we can start taking some questions after this since we're, we're live. Um, yes. So the final question about like what like the, the solution denialism attached to all this stuff is that Nietzsche would say because you can think of it like in a, in a logical way you've got all these different egos and mm -hmm. ideologies you know Christianity Roman paganism science Islam and they all sort of are functional and so what Nietzsche realizes is that none of these are the correct none of these are the thing that makes good happen in the world none of these are true according to him. Okay, and this is the problem mm -hmm. of nihilism. Mm -hmm. None of these are true, like we said. So he's tr he's saying that the essence of what is true is that inside of us there is an energy. If we can find it and create it, and that's not easy, but if we can find and create an energy inside of uh -huh. us, a sizzling and burning, he says actually the body must be persuaded first. Um, but if we can get that energy and learn to let it out and express it, and um, it will push us forward and get us to do what is good and what is true and what is right. And so for that reason, and this is his thesis, yes. what what we would need to do is to construct a a way of understanding the world that held that energy as central. And this is his sort of prophecy of the Uber mentioned his, his theory of uh, the will to power and stuff like this. It's maybe a bit edgy. It's maybe a bit imperfect. And this is like Nietzsche, maybe um, could you build a religion on top of Nietzsche? Like it's a very dodgy question. You don't, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to spiral into following a guy who went insane from hugging a horse, but you can actually kind of see what he's <laughs> saying on, on, on first principle. That's very, very intelligent that, all right, the thing that creates, despite the religion, the thing that creates is the fire in the blood, the energy inside the heart. Why not create a worldview that flatters that, that puts that at the pedestal and suggest to everyone, you know, in order for you to be a good person, you need to create inside of yourself as much of that energy as you can you know eat healthy lift weights if that's what it takes or or do whatever you need to do in order to put yourself in that exceptional state of sizzle and energy and will and power and then if you achieve that you will begin to produce creative goods at the end of it but you need to do this process and we're not going to respect you if you're jumping around from all these different ideologies saying oh i'm i'm in the middle of the the buffet trying to figure out an identity and all this type of stuff because ultimately that's not solving the problem the, yeah. the problem is not even necessarily your identity it's like how much fire is in your blood how much energy is inside your blood and if you focus on that if you make your identity to become a ball a, a lightning bolt of energy in this world you will probably lead to creating a type of people you know imagine if enough people got together with this idea of like we're going to make ourselves high energy lightning people and you've got like a million people to get together and form a society focused on doing that that people would be incredible and the people that would pop out of that would be just unbelievable they would be such profound uh characters that would pop out of this and he would say like out of these would eventually pop an ubermensch a, mm. a, a great man uh, that would be a step beyond mere humanity it would be something exceptional something a level up um, and that, you can understand that as his proposition as the solution to nihilism is to change the perspective on what we're looking to do. Instead of trying to find an ideology to identify with, we can connect with the natural forces inside of us and learn how to cultivate them. And that will lead to the, the creation of a new way, a new perspective, a new, a, new, um, a, new, a, a new actual practical path that answers the problem. And I think that's a very, very powerful thing to think mm. about. And it serves no matter what you do. So uh, if you want to ever chew on that one, there you go. I, I would say that was my best attempt at Nietzsche's thesis in a nutshell but uh, if you have any last thoughts let's pop into that and and if there's any uh any yeah. questions from the from the bios yeah yeah, yeah I'll, go, I'll so yeah people 
if you want to write a question now's the time to do so i did just want to say as well that like you said i think it's about cultivating virtue you know it's not necessarily about what you necessarily believe in even though i do believe ultimately it is important but it's not the most important first step it's about the contents of your character and how you're actually carrying yourself and is it long term and sustainable right because i can just smoke meth and this next week i'm sure i'll be super productive i'll be switched on my concentration will be really high and i can even write it down like a scientific experiment like nope all these th all these things are going up but then you obviously you look further down the line and it ends in chaos and hell so that's why that's, the long term that's... is the emphasis here that's that's very very true yeah very true a lot a lot of lads now will be like oh steph said high energy so it's like a lot of cocaine addicts following us now will be like oh fuck. yeah 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 exactly you misunderstood you misunderstood um no absolutely absolutely true natural as much as much um long-term energy as you can and carry yourself well absolutely absolutely exactly all right so i'm just going to go through the chat now uh if you guys have any questions please let me know I'm just going to read a couple. I see a lot of statements, not so many questions. I think they're having a chat in here. Look at that. Boyo's having a nice conversation. Uh, let's see. Self-work will build self-confidence. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think people are just having a... Just bantering. Yeah, guys, please feel free to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is bantering. Any... If you guys have any questions, please. Uh, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a delay in the live. A bit of a delay in the live, so that might take a, a second. Yeah, 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 that's true. You rascal. But I'll just I did forget something a very vital importance of my nihilistic existential despair was that I felt like my disconnection with God was severed. I was like I felt truly alone in the universe and empty like there was this void. So that was like like the spiritual aspect to it and that's the kind of part that really messed me up but it also forced me to i guess quote unquote find god again but it was man it was a brutal but long process Just tell me a bit more about that because that's very fascinating what do you mean like what what was what does it mean to be connected before and, and how did that lead to uh, disconnection <sighs> my mental state my spiritual state like i said i'll was always tapped into the, the suffering the evil and the the transient nature of reality but i also couldn't really feel fulfillment anymore and inspiration and all these kind of positive virtues that was keeping me happy as a human being was just basically ripped away from me and i was like fuck shit and i was kind of understanding like i can understand why people would kill themselves in this kind of situation but i was also in this what felt like an infinite time loop so it was even even if I killed myself. I would just have to come back and do this all again. So it was like this, I reached this state of like beyond suicide where it's like, if I had the button to not exist, I would have pressed it, but also there's no point. So I was like, shit. It's like really depressing state that I was in, but man, it was really real at the time. It was crazy. Jesus, dude, you should check out. Have you ever read Nietzsche's um, theory of the eternal recurrence? No. Would you wow, recommend? bro. Bro, definitely, definitely have a read of that because you literally just described what it was. Like he, he, uh, he used it as a sort of philosophical meditation where, um, imagine if your life was repeated forever. Like you're, you're it's like gnostic mm. hell. You're trapped in Groundhog yeah. Day forever, and so you're you're gonna live this life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, ever like, again. Yeah. 
And how, how are you going to conduct, like, how would you conduct your life if that was true? Because for example, if you kill yourself, that's a, that's a pretty fucked up way of ending that story. You know, you're sort of like, am I just going to live this life and then just blow my brains out at the end of it? Or would you choose to make it as like you, you, first of all, you would accept it and be like, you know what, whatever is going on now, I'm going to make it what it is. And if I can just have one moment of glory, that's actually enough to justify everything else. And so what would you do? You'd probably go and say to yourself, you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die while bungee jumping. I'm going to die while fighting in an airplane. I'm going to die while, uh, you know, robbing a bank or something like that. You'd probably go a little bit yes. more on tilt at the very, very least. You start thinking bigger. You'd start aiming for, um, you know, you'd want, you'd want to, you know, scare your future mm. self by going for a big uh, shebang, a big um, experience of some sort. And uh, he used that as one of his big, big, strong meditations for a, uh, a possible mental model that you could use to question the problem of nihilism and like, what's the point and no motivation. So it's very interesting just the way you, you articulated that. Maybe you could check that out. Yeah. And uh, I, I definitely did feel a kick up the bum, sort of like these hellhounds chasing me from behind. So I had to run. I had no choice. It's either I stop, fall into this, potentially kill myself or just run forward and just wait for this wave to pass this dark night yeah. of the soul i guess but it was more yeah, i couldn't yeah. do that to my family so even then even but I, I i heard a description of i think it was david foster wallace or something he was talking about basically when you get into that dark suicidal place it's like you're in a burning building and killing yourself is like analogous to jumping outside a fifth story building or whatever it is and it's not that jumping outside the window doesn't scare the crap out of you and you want to do it, but it gets to the point where the burning inside the building becomes more painful than the fear of jumping out. So it was really yeah. fucking twisted yeah, yeah. way of describing that state, but yeah, yeah. man, yeah, it's... But I'm, Interesting. Uh, but even and, then, and so for those listening to... to the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, um, just to kind of... Maybe, maybe we could put in a critique of Nietzsche or a challenge to Nietzsche, just important thing to keep in mind. In that um, Nietzsche like proposes that sort of production of the fiery energy out of the body and the blood, and that's the way that we create health and and, and glory and all these type of things. And I actually think that's certainly true. And a lot of people could do it very seriously, looking at that idea and putting it to practice in their lives. But um, there's also a question that you're talking about there, where you have a abstract, big concept, a super concept, God, and it's a vision of this loving, mm -hmm. life-breathing entity in the world. And you're describing that when you had a severed connection with that, all your energy sank and you lost will and you lost power and you lost energy. Mm -hmm. So Nietzsche would sort of say of like finding energy from beneath, which is, I think, true on some level. But there's also the question of finding energy from above, like energy getting pulled out of you and created out of you, like feeling like a, a follower, son of God or oh, feeling yeah. like God loves you, this type of thing. Um, and maybe that's something to keep keep in mind as well for people is that um there's like there is a reductionist way that that I like to talk about this because it it's very very disciplined but there's also a side of it where you have to ask yourself you know mm -hmm. um the, the way the way we are is that we are ultimately spiritual creatures and we need we like we connect with big ideas and we connect with big entities and big forces yes. and big powers and God is obviously the biggest the biggest G of them all and um maybe maybe there's like you could understand why something like Christianity has such a motivating power for people, why it brought so much power out of the Western Europeans is precisely for these reasons. They felt that they had this connection with God and God was pulling them forward and that energized them. You know, in the days where maybe their body was unhealthy, the days where they weren't eating the best diet, the days where they were starving, the days where they were struggling, mm. the days where they were wounded, they had this superordinate power 
that they would connect with and it would pull them through that no matter what it gave them special magical energy and that's um actually very very important to keep in mind yeah it's it's well i think it's reconciliation you know it's it's lowering heaven but also raising earth it's not again it's not this dialectical tension of you're only looking at one or only looking at the other ultimately i think it is you should aim for the highest goal it's less energy you know what i mean like you kind of just flow into it and it pulls you yeah. up and you can do it from the ground up i've tried that too and i had to as well it's not again it's not yes, either yes, or yes. because i still had to lift heavy weights and do exercise go out to nature every day meditate and i was very this was actually the time where i was one of the, the most disciplined in my daily routine uh, with my spiritual practices uh because i just wanted to get out of this hell so it was a good <laughs> it was a good uh motivation but i've got i've got a question here actually this is a funny one how does one convince the inner meth addict to leave down the meth bowl without hitting rock bottom in relation to all addictions, porn, junk food, failure, etc. Cheers, lads. Really enjoying these. Um, sweet. So what do we do about addictions? This is this becomes more of a, a psychological question. You know, um, it's related to all this stuff in a very profound way because ultimately, um, ultimately, like we are we're a complicated problem because we're wired for the jungle and in the jungle, you know, our dopamine systems and our, our sugar, our, you know, our taste, our sweet tooth and our desire for uh, certain foods was actually very adaptive. So you're out in the jungle and you see a, a big bush of berries. It's important for you to just like a, a, a horrendous beast, eat all those berries. Um, but the problem <laughs> yeah. with modern society and the abundance of modern society is that, you know, you could have a bush of berries every single day and that, form of berries could be chocolate bars because it kind of tastes the same to your mouth and that's where problems mm -hmm. come is that like what, what we're wired to be is ultimately um not adaptive to the abundance of the modern world so the kind of first principle in question it, it's just it's, it's almost like an identity thing is that um do people understand what they are because on a foundational level i find a lot of people with addictions um have have identity rationalizations for it oh i am uh, uh like i'm you know it's this is what this is the way i deal with something I'm the type of guy who has to deal with anxiety and stress by smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol or taking meth or something like this. I'm the guy who has to deal mm. with the trauma of my life because I was a poor guy growing up and no one loved me by taking crystal meth and all these type of things. And um, I am someone who has to do this. And instead, you should like imagine if you could reframe yourself and understand that like I am a fallen animal who is very prone to bullshit, rationalizations, false identities. But I've also got this incredible power to change and evolve. And if I can get disciplined and get serious and form myself into someone who doesn't make these type of mistakes and see myself as having all this potential and prove to myself I'm able to do it, maybe I will change. This is sort of like David Goggins mode, you know, where you sit down and say to yourself, right, um, how, like will, discipline, seriousness, and change the way mm. you see yourself inside your mm. head. I think that's a very, very important thing to keep in mind. It's knowing what you are and what you are is bigger than your, your, your story about you know not being loved by your parents knowing what you are is understanding that you were like you know the man who struggled across the alps seven thousand years ago and discovered the the fertile plains or something like this like it was you are like you are an incredible being life is an incredible thing and so that's one side of it then hmm. another side i've noticed is just a simple replacement so oftentimes when people take uh drugs they're trying to get an experience out of it a a, a chemical change in their body 
And um, there's a lot of different ways you can change the chemicals in your body. You could, uh, you know, go for a run to change the chemicals in your body and feel differently. You could uh, have sex. You could breathe. You could maybe you could pray. Maybe you could meditate. You know, and um, there's a lot of different things that you can do that can change this. And maybe all you need to do is just find an alternate habit in the simplest level possible. Like that's that's one thing you could look down. And then the last one would be Jung's solution, which is uh, Jung was involved with Alcoholics Anonymous, and he um, noticed that the vast majority of people. Well, he suggested that. Uh, the, the the desire for the spirits which is the alcohol is actually a misplaced desire for the spirit which is god and so alcoholics anonymous is basically about putting together a sort of religious framework mm. for people to live moral lives because ultimately you're going into decadence and hedonism and your fallen nature as i was describing at the start because you don't have a you don't have higher structures in, put into place and it's just because you were lazy and undisciplined and you need to go and actually like maybe even humble yourself and go to one of these meetings and humiliate yourself by standing up there and being like, my name is Stefan Fox. I'm I am an alcoholic <laughs> and presenting yourself that way. And just, just being, you know, just join them with a group of people and yeah, put yeah. yourself in the it's like professing your sins uh, in front of other yep. people. I think that's why yep. in, uh, in Christianity, it's very important. Uh, the confession, which I actually have never done in my life. Uh, that's a confession, I guess. <laughs> but that I think that it's not just repenting on your own and realizing what you need to fix within your own life, but I think it's very powerful to open up to other human beings. So that way it can even create this accountability and being seen and heard by another human. Because, we're, man, we're societal creatures. We need to do this with others. You can't do 100%. this by yourself. 100%. 100%. Really big deal really big deal man um yeah really big deal so that would be my thoughts on that yeah we ended on one other question because it's nietzsche related uh dallas 72198 says i love nietzsche's eternal reoccurrence thought experiment any other recommendations from nietzsche's work or other existentialists um the eternal reoccurrence is great if you want a related a mental metaphor you could look into um albert camus myth of sisyphus or just the greek myth of sisyphus because it's precisely mm. the same thesis as uh, sisyphus was a a guy who rolled a rock all the way up to the top of the mountain um, and then when he got the rock to the top of the mountain zeus would come down i think and kick the rock back to the bottom and so poor sisyphus just spent his whole life doing that that was his whole life and uh camus is like this is called wow. absurdism and the nihilism absurdism so yeah that, that, that's a camus is an interesting response to nihilism you could check out um nietzsche's eternal recurrence is a fantastic one nietzsche's a lot of these like amor fati is something that he gets out of the eternal recurrence which is basically love of destiny so the problem a lot of people have uh, give, to give you an example from my life um i i like hated myself when i was younger because i wanted to be a singer i wanted to be a musician and I was saying to myself, you know, mm. I'm not good enough. I'm not nowhere near as good as Jeff Buckley. I'm nowhere near as good as pa Pavarotti. I'm nowhere near as good as the people I want to be like. And so I tried to change myself and become like them. And I, I, this happened, I had so many different patterns with this. I remember I used to play soccer. It was the very exact same pattern. I hated that I was, I was terrible at soccer and I hated myself. And I would sit down and look at Cristiano Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and Terry Henry. And I'd be like, I wish I was like them. And I sit down and I'd fantasize about how, how my, how my life should have went. Like, I wish I was born in a favela in Brazil. And then I, I woke up every day and all I could do was play soccer because then I'd be amazing at soccer and I would have made it and would have succeeded. Mm. But instead, I've had this experience where I was like, you know, I woke up to soccer when I was like 
12 or 13 or 14 and only started playing then and it's too late it's too late for me to succeed because that made me angry it made me hate myself and made made all you know terrible emotions inside of me um and then the same with music like same thing i wish it could have been like these guys i wish you know i read stories about jeff buckley singing when he was six but i only really like started to learn to play music when i was like 14 15 16 and i'm like it's too late it's too late it's too late and I get angry and I wish I had a different life. I wish I had a different destiny. I wish I lived in a different way. And then I remember reading Nietzsche's Amor Fati and he basically says, you know, imagine if you had to live this life, Steph, that you lived all your life. And I was like, yeah, um, would you want to just sit around and just be fucking jaded all the time? Like what's, what's going on? You're just going to have to on some level say to yourself, you know, maybe you could have been born in a favela. Maybe you could have been born in a, with a hippie mom who would have taught you how to sing, but ultimately you weren't. So why don't you sit down and say to yourself, you are what you are. How do you make the most out of what you are? So how do you look at the mm. destiny you've been given and learn to love your destiny, learn to love your reality, not someone else's reality, not a different reality, the one you're in right now and make the most of it. Because ultimately, imagine if you're stuck having to live this over and over again, you'd be fucked. So how do you stick with this one? And so that mental yeah. thing got me to sort of say to myself, you know, Maybe I'm not going to be like a high voice singer like uh, Pavarotti, but I can sing my own style and I can do my own thing. And maybe I don't have to try, you know, create Jeff Buckley part two or the Red Hot Chili Peppers part two or whatever it is. I can actually just create my own music, my own stuff. And maybe I don't have to be a great football player. Maybe I could get into boxing or something like this. And I started to just live my own life on my own terms with my own story and from my own context. And this actually allowed me to do all sorts of things that I was refusing to do. So for example, I was refusing, I, I, the way I wanted music to work is I would go out to uh, live shows and I would play in live shows and then people would discover me and be like, this guy is gonna be a famous superstar. And then I get a record label deal. And then I'd go and become um, world famous and that type of thing. And uh, when when I was younger, I remember looking at YouTube and I was saying, I no way would I, will I start building something on YouTube because that's not how it's going to happen. That's not how Jeff Buckley did it. That's not how it's going to happen. So I was above YouTube, you know, and um, I was I was actually holding myself back <laughs> yeah. because I was looking all the tools that were sitting right in front of my nose. I was refusing to use them because I had a self image. I had a, a problem. And then when I sort of go Amor Fati and I say, all right, I'm a millennial who lives in this age in this particular time and these tools that are available to me, I just need to sit down and use them. And this is precisely it. I sit down and I look at YouTube and be like, you know, let's try and make the most of this motherfucker. See what it is. Instagram, same thing. Telegram, email, whatever it is. Like, how do I use these tools? Ableton, what can I do with it? What can't I do with it? You know, do, should I be like Jeff Buckley or should I try to rap? Like, should an Irish man really try to rap? Mm -hmm. And I try all these things. And some of them worked. Like, I've, I've, I've got some tunes out there that people like. I did well on YouTube. Like, these type of things happened. And they happened because I just sat down and got serious about making the most about what mm. I have. Yeah, uh, man, that's so true. And of course, I'm like from the Christian lens. So forgive me, but this is how, how I'm seeing it right now. But it's something that actually got me out of nihilism was to sub. It was on, in a way. I don't know if you want to word it this way, but this is what what's coming out is that I submitted my will to something greater than me, not trying to necessarily create my destiny, but fulfill the destiny that was given to me. Yes. Yes. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. 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 Yeah. A hundred percent. Like just and that sit helps down. a lot because that... when you, when, when you try to be your own God and try to kind of mold the whole world to what will you want right now, which changes all the time. Like imagine doing a, a lifetime commitment at what you think at the age of 19. You know what I mean? That's not going to end well. I don't, I don't think. <laughs> oh, maybe it will. I, maybe I'm just yeah, being overly judgmental, but you know what? I'm, yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's almost like a gratitude perspective. So like go, instead yeah, of trying ahead. to fix fix it, well, instead of trying to fix the world, you sit sort of sit down and you're just like you thank the world 
and say, you know what, I'm going to make the most of what you're giving me yes. right now. I'm just going to see what this stuff can do. And usually that's enough. You can do very well off that. Yeah. Take a day at a time. Don't have to worry too much. Yeah. I think even Jesus said, like, don't don't worry about tomorrow. It comes with its own anxieties. Just <laughs> take the day as it comes. Yeah, and 100%. He had some pretty, you know, in, he had some pretty interesting insights. I don't know. He had some hot takes. A, I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think gratitude is very, very, very important. Like that was something that I had to like brainwash myself every single day, make like lists, even to the most simple mundane things. Uh, not even having a roof over my head, you know, having access to clean water. And these are obvious, but even getting real new ones, like, oh, I'm so grateful for shoelaces. Or oh, I'm so grateful for <laughs> denim. And oh, for music. Oh, I'm so grateful that like birds exist, you know, just stuff like that, like just really little things. But when you like become genuine about it, then you start to have like this incredible passionate thirst for life, you know? So I kind of had that reawakening. It's, it's very true. And, yeah. It's very yeah. true. It's very true. Um, Sweet, man. Yes, I, I, I think if you want to, if you want to end it, because uh, I did want to make another podcast eventually, and I'm stealing you a lot, Steph, I hope you don't mind. But oh, I did want to break down weed addiction because I'm sure you've had a few clients who've struggled with this and particularly creativity and how those two interplay with each other. But let's do it. Maybe we can like just kind of touch on it, just a little intro now. And why, uh, why do you think so many people get addicted to weed? And this is my biggest vice, by the way. So I'm sure people know already. Why do people, so many people get addicted to weed? Um, well, first of all, uh, I think, you know, one of the biggest <laughs> loaded question, yeah. one of the biggest, uh, um, one of the biggest, uh, uh problems is, is the mental models around it. So people, first of all, they see weed as harmless. Like, for example, I've done, I, I like I've done my stints working with people. You could even say, um, in a sort of therapeutic role. And I've spoken to actually a lot of people who had psychosis and schizophrenia, like symptoms of that. And it's, it's so strange. It's related mm -hmm. to the sort of thing I talk about with Nietzsche. And um, like our culture is fucked, uh, royally fucked due to bad mental modeling. Like the sort of mental model among mm -hmm. the medical community is that, you know, you need a prescription drug for everything, as we I'm sure you know. And I speak to schizophrenics and people with psychosis, like, you know, the delusions, depersonalization, sometimes hallucinations. And um, across the board, like I would say 95% of them would have um, terrible diets terrible habits and actually this is what astounded me most of them would smoke weed in fact um weed seemed to be one of the the most consistent triggers i would have thought it would have been like psychedelics but psychedelics almost never triggered people if they took psychedelics alone but if you took psychedelics and smoke weed often that can trigger people and weed by itself often triggered people i know a lot of people who smoke yeah, joints true. and had a like psychotic experience because of it um on top of that then like an awful lot of just the problem with psychosis would be people you know, eating the wrong foods and filling themselves with bad chemicals. Mm -hmm. And then this amplifies all their problems. So maybe an existential crisis on top of a diet of Coca-Cola and pizza is, uh, and weed is going to be turned into like a, maybe a mental crisis. So, so you want to be very, very careful that, about that. But if you're keeping yourself in good oh, shape yeah. and keeping your head straight and maybe like a kind of depression or an identity crisis will be just, you know, a couple of days where you're trying to reorganize yourself and you'll take a bad hit and you will be down and you will be anxious, but it won't be as bad as say like a, a complete worldview implosion, which is what you want to avoid. So first of all, 
a general misunderstanding of uh, how, how much of a chemical entity you are is the important thing. The second thing is that, as I said, the vast majority of people with severe mental problems, um, the weed was involved to the point where I started to get very suspicious of it. Like I, I, so much so that I started to ask myself, okay, there's something wrong here because a lot of these people think that weed's harmless and they can just smoke it all day, every day. And it's actually causing them like true mental illness, like, you know, diagnosed mental illness. And they're ending up on drugs because of this stuff and they can't get their lives mm. in order. And why, why don't they just stop? Like, okay, should we just across the board change the way we look at it? Because an awful lot of what people would see is that weed doesn't hurt you. It can't damage your brain and it can't damage your mind. And you can't, this is another one. You can't get addicted to it. You know, it's not an addictive substance. And maybe all uh, that stuff is true. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe all that it's stuff is true. true. Yeah, continue. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And, and, and maybe, maybe all that stuff is correct. Well, maybe it's correct, but it probably isn't. But nonetheless, it's, it's it's so like wrong like it's that stuff is if you're not the right person we can fuck you up royally like it's it's too it's a very potent drug and maybe even it's a very addictive drug for all we know um and Definitely. it's 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 not like it doesn't help you be creative either like if you're in a haze uh, if you're whacked all day in a haze like that's not that's not that's not really maybe you can be a bit creative, but it's not actually fertile in the way that you think it is. And th the point being that like most people I know who are no. smoking too much weed, they aren't, they aren't great artists. They aren't like, they, you know, they're not out there smashing out the most amazing things ever. And um, oftentimes they're in their own way. There's some people I know who smoke a lot of weed and they're doing absolutely fine and they're flying. Yep. They're doing absolutely well, fine. They're flying, but they're, yeah, I heard a buzz. Do you hear the buzz? Yeah, yeah of course. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's all good now. But yeah, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's a complicated question. So I say one of the root problems is the mental modeling of it. Like, is like, all right, is it because yeah. we assume it's harmless, good and helpful for creativity. In my experience, it's first of all, it's not harmless. Second of all, it's not helpful for creativity at all. It's sort of neutral if I was to put it in it then. Um, maybe maybe it's good for you know generating ideas but the actual art of crafting something which is what creativity is as well is uh like weed is terrible for that it gets in the way actually um so it's a combination of these things long long term long term because I, I would say that you know i think i've created some pretty cool stuff hi you can get yes, on my yes, soundcloud yes. <laughs> but also but that's like at the beginning you know it's, it's like for example when you go through those cycles of weed like you quit you go back to it and it's like, oh, welcome back, old friend. He's amazing. Yes. He's all this creativity and joy and euphoria. Oh, yes. I'm, why did I even quit weed? And then, of course, it would start to gnaw at you at the back. And I then think, long term. It, I, I find that the general rule of drugs is that whatever it gives you is the exact same thing it takes away in the long term. That's an awesome frame. That's an awesome frame. Um, so what I'd say is that uh, it's... Um, True, in the sense of like, it, like this is actually commonly understood among poison in general. Like most poisons at a small enough dose are probably actually good for you. Um, you can take a very small dose of certain mm, frog yes. frog poisons and it's stimulating. Um, most drugs, but like LSD, for example, is a poison at a high enough dose, but at the right dose, it's a, an incredible hallucinogenic. Um, and weed is like that as mm -hmm. well. You know, it's like anything. A little dose of, of cannabis is probably really stimulating, really will open your mind, dissolve your ego, get you to see things another way. But constantly being in a, in a whacked haze all your life 
is going to start to have serious problems. And you like, you need to have this sort of mental model in place. It's not making you more creative. Yes. It's like creativity is a very complicated process. You have at the start, you have the explosion of ideas and then you have the consolidation mm -hmm. and crafting of ideas. And then you have the reshaping and perfecting of ideas. So for example, you, you have this idea, I'm going to make a sculpture and you think it's going to be a sculpture of King David and you get this big block of marble. Now, once you've got the big block of marble and you got the idea, all right. Now, now what you have to do is you have to spend a long time, very left brain crafting it, being specific and detailed. And yes. then lastly, yes. you have to polish it and kind of get it all sorted out and maybe get the more vibe in it. And as far as the kind of cutting energy and these, these process, like this yeah. process is complicated. Weed is very helpful for the start and maybe the end, but mainly to start. It's good at generating 100%. ideas, but it's not very good at getting you to be disciplined as you craft. And um, it kind of gets in the way with that with a lot of people, I find like, wow. it's, it's like the kind of, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. So it, it has its place. It's definitely got got uses, but a daily drug that's putting you in this constant haze. And and again, the mental models you construct to support it, that's usually the worst stuff. I need weed to be creative, idiotic to allow that to get into your head. And um, weed helps me mm. stay mentally stable. It's like almost the opposite of my experience. And um, now maybe I have a bias sample, by the <laughs> yeah. way, but almost the opposite. Um, weed doesn't harm me at all. It's like it definitely fucking does. It's true. And um, maybe in ways that you don't quite see. So. Uh, yeah, I would say the mental model first of all. Right, right. It's just about being, being, being honest. Like I'm, I'm, I'm big on honesty. Like if you want to smoke weed to get higher, say it. Like when I started shifting that in my later kind of stony years, I still kind of you know go in and out. Of yes, it, to be honest. But I'll say to myself, I'm smoking weed to get high because I want to escape reality yes, for yes, a little yes, while. Yes. I'll say it, and I'll actually enjoy it. But when I start to kind of Oh, but this is good for me. Or oh, I need this yes, to yes, create. Yes, yes, or yes, I yes, need yes, this yes. to connect with my higher self. Like as soon as I frame it that way, that's when it really goes downhill very quickly. Whereas if I'm being honest, like no, I just I want to get high. Yeah, and there's nothing inherently that's... wrong with that, but it's healthier, <laughs> probably. I... I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's a very very good approach. Is to just like you know make peace with your sin. You know make peace with your sin. Yes. And be like I am. A... Yes. I, I want repent I, later. I want to... <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I just want to get fucked up like like it's not it's not i'm not i'm not you know this is what it is it is what it is and if you don't yeah. bullshit yourself that's so healthy it's weird it's actually kind of weird you know if you embrace your your dark side a little bit and it's not even dark side like i don't want to draw, drum it up but you know you embrace vices and you say you know what mm -hmm. i'm gonna get fucked up and you don't bullshit yourself and lie you probably will come out better in the end like that's true i, I that's been true in my experience too yeah and I, i've the people who i've met who've had that kind of mentality are usually healthier long term than those who kind of bullshit themselves yeah you know what i mean 100 yeah, percent. Uh, but we I, I would love to I, I think this is a good prelude i just wanted to kind of open up the doors because it's opening up many interesting concepts and i did want to in the next podcast go into the creative process and maybe i can even give you an example of my own weed addiction story as like a analysis you? because I've, I've been smoking weed for it's embarrassing to say but i think 18 years <laughs> nice. a long long nice, time nice, and i've gone nice. in and in and in and out in and out in and out and maybe we can even go to exactly why am i so hooked on it and what brings me back so that way it can it can be as a i guess it can be it can be used as an archetype for people to learn at home because i'm sure people will relate and i've gone through all this so many of the different Beautiful. stages yeah the stoner archetype beautiful beautiful let's do it I mean, man. well it's it's very <laughs> very like, you know a lot of people 
a lot of people smoke nowadays, man. So it's it's actually a very interesting question. Um, what does it mean to smoke weed? And like, is it like how should you approach the habit? How should you understand it? And you know, covering the downsides and the upsides with just an honest glaze. But like, you know, let's yeah, yeah. just be real here. Like, 100%. you know, there are downsides to it, but there also are upsides. It's yeah. it's fun as well. Like, just simply like it's good to get and blasted. I'll be honest about it. You know, I'll, I'll I'm gonna. I'm going to honestly express how the honeymoon phase was, the, the ups, the downs, the long-term horrors and all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah. because even making this channel, I've made a lot of weed content documentaries on this channel. So I've attracted a lot of the kind of stoner types. Uh, many of my best mates are like stoners and stuff like that. So I, I do understand the culture very well. Maybe not so much of a historical level, but definitely from an archetypical, psychological, human-to-human level. I understand the yep. stoner probably better than most yep. stoners. I know it's arrogant to say, <laughs> but I've I've just been in this world for too long. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. definitely. Let's let's dive yep. into that. That could be a really cool thing to check out. Um, it's something I've always wanted to talk about as well. But I just like, you know, it's one of those things I've noticed a lot, but I just don't prioritize. But it's it's actually very significant. Like a lot of a lot of guys I talk to, um, young guys smoking a lot of weed, aimless, and you're kind of like, here, listen, lads. Um, maybe we can start with these basic reduction things, yeah. you know, and, and maybe there's other questions. So yeah, sweet. Let's do it. Yep. All right. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, where can people reach you who are listening oh. at home? I'll link your YouTube channel and all that. Beautiful. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can check me out on Uberboyo over on YouTube and, uh, yeah, just pretty much there, Twitter and Instagram as well, if you so wish. And, uh, yeah, pop in and have a listen, see what me ranting about and, uh, check it all out. Awesome. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy this podcast, leave leave a like, a comment, subscribe to our Patreon if you're feeling generous, supports the channel. And that's pretty much it. Hope you enjoyed this one and I'll catch you the next time. Looking forward to our next podcast. I definitely want to break down this, this weed archetype and, and like creativity Sweet, and psychosis and it's going to be so good. People will love it, I'm sure. Sweet. I'll do, I'll do a bit of study to make sure it's All nice right. juicy. Talk to you later, brother. No worries. We'll keep in we'll keep in touch, brother. All right. Much love. Bye bye. Have a good one. Bye 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 bye. Peace.